NPR is ruining my life. <sighs> That's the story of my life as well. <laughs> they won't give me a job. Um, yeah. Oh man, just the the feed. What what what's what's the deal? Oh, so it, it it's totally it, it's the worst thing that could possibly happen in podcasting. Yeah, at least my side of the business. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, fortunately, I personally don't have to deal with as much of it as my boss does. My, I just got off the phone with my boss. Um, he's going to be spending the rest of his night trying to work this out. But sometime earlier today, I'd say you know, probably around like noon, a little afternoon Eastern time, um, mm-hmm. NPR updated something with their server configuration that basically overwrote all of their RSS feeds with the same the same feed data, the same feed address. So when this propagated out to every podcasting app that exists, um, it manifested in a bunch of different ways. For most that are based on like the iTunes system, it made it look like you were subscribed to maybe the same NPR show several times. So it, if you were if you subscribe to um, NPR, NPR's How I Built This and Fresh Air and All Songs Considered, all of those may have been automatically changed to subscriptions to All Things Considered. So in some apps, it was just a bunch of duplicate subscriptions. It kind of overwrote all the subscriptions that you had and replaced them with one because every feed was identical at some point in time. In Breaker... how did it only happen like for like cuz I I noticed it today after Marco tweeted I just opened up and it's like oh shoot Storycore just posted three episodes wait a second these don't look like mm-hmm. Storycore titles and then like Tiny Desk uploaded two shows and I was like oh what the hell but yeah. like Yeah so in some cases it just manifested as like errant episodes in in feeds so episodes of believed might show up in your your other podcast subscription for me. Yeah. It was all episodes of belief. Yeah. There were, there were a lot of them. Um, I think it, it, I think I don't know exactly what happened and I'm, I'm hoping that more comes out about this, but I think maybe all of their feeds were given, were overwritten several times with different feed info. So it probably manifested differently for different people. Like you got a bunch from believed. I got a bunch from, uh, whatever their hourly news show is. Uh, in some cases, this resulted in people getting hundreds of episodes added to their download queues. That how? That's so nuts. I it's guess maybe I don't awful. listen to that many NPR shows. Like oh, most of my shows are WNYC. To, or... You just have to listen to one, one, and it could be bad. If that, that probably multiplies if you listen to multiple. But you know, you're right, subscribed probably it, to Tiny Desk, right? Or yeah, and StoryCorps. Right. So it's going to happen to you. I'm subscribed to a couple of them. It happened to me. I, I think I got lucky. <laughs> I only had to delete something like a dozen from my personal feed. Uh, but the problem that remains, at least in Breaker, is that we don't we don't just keep the feed up to date. We also maintain all of these different records and associations, such as uh, subscriptions and likes and listens and comments and all of these things are attached to database entries which are created from rss entries and when all these rss entries are being created at one time and constantly changing and feed ids between two separate shows are identical 
our internal logic says, well, we need to merge these shows. This is a duplicate of this show, so we need to merge them. So even though NPR isolated the issue and fixed it within a couple hours, still way too slow in my opinion. Um, we have several shows on breaker that multiplied by like three X and these are already our most popular shows on the platform. So basically it couldn't be worse. <laughs> <laughs> like there isn't uh, like Eric said, there, there couldn't be a different, a worse platform or worse network for this to happen with <laughs> because they have the biggest shows on every platform, not just breaker. Like if you look on iTunes, they have consistently some of the biggest shows. So basically the only thing that we can do at this point is roll back our entire database to, let's see about nine and a half hours, meaning anything that happened on breaker today no longer exists. It's kind of like the Avengers is so We're is snapping that our fingers and, and, Everything from today is just going away. Is that, I guess that's sort of what happened. Are you going to be, <laughs> I, I don't want to spoil anything. I can't. I, <laughs> well, we I mean, that, it happened in the last. Spoilers. Is it happening? I'm talking about Infinity War. I'm not spoiling Endgame. Um, well, I'm, well, I'm talking about Endgame. <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to talk about Endgame, but this is, this is, this is a big problem and it sucks. Like it, it isn't, I mean, it's not the end of the world. It's nine hours of data, but that's a lot of data. And if you consider what all is being lost, it's, you know, it's, uh, any listens, um, all of the episodes that came out today are going to be erased and they're going to have to like, you know, slowly repopulate, which means people mm-hmm. are going to get a bunch more notifications because all of the podcasts from dead air are all going to be coming in, you know, around the same time at some point this evening or overnight, uh, which isn't the worst. Any likes and comments are gone and, that that's a shame (laughs) i mean those are those are records it's like part of the reason that people use our app is to communicate and to like and record the listens that they have so all of that's going to be gone i released the second episode of breaking ground today (laughs) so that's going to be gone meaning the links that i shared to that are dead and uh all the comments and the likes that we've had for that and any new subscribers that we got as a result of it they'll be gone and I'm going to have to repost it and redo all of that tomorrow. Um, I was thinking that I, I was hoping that it wasn't going to be so bad and that, you know, we'd be able to go through and reparse the feeds and, and purge any episodes that are no longer in the feeds, you know, just get rid of, get, getting rid of all the stuff that's not supposed to be where it currently is. And uh, that's, that would be a hard enough task. And that would take me pretty much all day tomorrow. Um, but I didn't consider the subscriptions thing, which is a much bigger issue. We, we have like thousands of people subscribed to shows now that they don't want to be subscribed to. And that's not good. It's like that time when Twitter made a bunch of people follow the president when they didn't want to. I don't remember that. Oh yeah. Yeah. That sucked. (laughs) Just all of a sudden I'm, I'm following president Trump and that seemed wrong. Um, it's not quite that extreme because we're a much, much, much smaller platform and these are just podcasts, but it's still bad. So it sucks. It's worse for Eric because he, he has to spend the rest of his evening um, finding a, a place in our database to roll back to and copying that over. And it's going to be a big thing. And then I'm sure there's going to be fallout. Oh, any user that signed up for Breaker today, it'll be like their account never existed. 
oh my god that's crazy that's a nightmare i know I mean, if it was it was like google drive or something like that that'd be so much worse yeah so it, it does suck but i'm hoping that we can we can use this and maybe you know try to try to find ways to you know prepare for this in the future um you know, he he called to tell me about it because you know I, I'm working through school to become a software engineer, and he's like, "This is a this is just one of those like really good software engineer lessons where you you can plan and prepare and prep for everything that you can think of and more, but then there's always going to be that one edge case when NPR <laughs> messes up every single one of their feeds <laughs> and just." messes with our world so hopefully not too many people signed up today it's not like their usernames are going to be taken up so if they want to sign up again they're probably not going to be losing that much data they're just going to have to sign up I'm again and totally maybe going to feeds. take devil stick six nine six nine four twenty <laughs> their username is now mine <laughs> yeah it, it sucks but what are you going to do um hopefully npr has <laughs> learned their lesson it won't happen again but you know this isn't the first time that npr's had problems with their feeds we've had problems with duplicate episodes of tiny desk for years now on any platform right like you and i will be like what the heck is going on with their feeds right now there's it'll be there and then you try to play it and it doesn't play and then another one pops up later and that one works it's yeah it's a mess i don't know what they do for feed management but it's crazy so. it's just just a transistor yeah they should they should they should switch to transistor um and you know, I was thinking about an issue that uh, I had with Transistor, and I never emailed them about it because I wanted to think about it first. Um, we put out an episode of Bantha Fodder recently, and you fixed up some stuff and sent it over, and I redid the chapters, and I uploaded it and figured that everything was fine. But basically, for an entire day, nobody could download that podcast, and you brought it to my attention, and I, it took me three seconds to figure out what was wrong. And it was because we host on Transistor, but we publish through Squarespace. And on Squarespace, um, if you're publishing an episode from another host, all you have to do is grab a link, a, like a direct link to that MP3 and plop it into a, a little box on Squarespace and, and hit save. Mm-hmm. In the past, when we've replaced something on Libsyn, our former host, Libsyn would maintain the file name. It wouldn't change the file name. So that was never a problem. If we had to re-upload something, as long as I kept the file name the same when I uploaded it, it would just replace the file and it would just keep pulling from the same address. Transistor changes the address and creates like a, a new new URL for the new audio that you upload. Even if it's the same file name, same size, even if everything was exactly the same, it's going to be, I think, a different URL. And I was thinking that was a, a bug, not not like anything of use. But then I had another issue with the user on Breaker recently where they updated the podcast artwork for their show and they hosted everything themselves on their own blog. And it's a really show, really tiny show. I don't think it has any subscribers yet. It has one episode out, um, but it was a friend of mine and they're like, hey, I, I, we updated the, the podcast art for the show, but it doesn't seem to be reflecting. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. So I went in, I manually refreshed it. Everything looked good on the website, but in the app, it was still the same. And if you enlarged the artwork, it would show the new stuff. It would show the new the, the new image, but the thumbnail itself was still the old one. And I thought, okay, maybe it's a device caching issue. So I cleared Breaker's cache and restarted the app, and it was still wrong. And 
we realized after a while that it was because he he used the same exact file name. He uploaded a new file, but it was the same file name. So our server cached it. And that was the mm. problem. So that could be an issue with podcasts as well, technically. It's a much bigger file. I'm not I'm not as sure that it would be cached the same way that a five hundred pixel JPEG would be. But that is something to consider. So maybe that was a consideration that they made at the onset of building Transistor and, and that sort of functionality. So I'm not going to pin them for it. I'm not going to ask them about it because I think it's probably a good idea. I I just need to remember to replace MP3s <laughs> correctly when, when we fix stuff. So many different services that we have to go back and forth between. Yeah, it, it is complex. Um and I don't know how necessary it is. Like I'm, I'm coming around to the idea that maybe we don't need the Bantha Fighter website. I like it. I think it looks a lot nicer than what we get with Transistor. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're able to do more stuff with it. You know, I can make like the lookbook, which has, you know, cool. It, it's just like a, a scrapbook of all of our different artworks for the the podcast. You can kind of just scroll through and and catch any find anything that catches your eye. And then we have a place where we can put our songs and and any of the extra stuff that we make, like posters for documentaries or movies that I make um, for random listeners, Plex servers. Uh, there's definitely more flexibility with it, but it's an, it's an additional cost and additional steps to publish. So I don't know. We could discuss it. I, I don't know if our traffic demands a Squarespace site. Yeah, it's nice having it. You're right, though. It, it just it is nice having it and being having that versatility. Like, there's a lot more that I'd love to do with it. You know, there's the there's the timeline that I've been trying to do, like the Canon timeline, and I, I feel like I'm getting closer and closer in my programming abilities to actually make that come to fruition on my own. Um, which I think would be a huge draw, and it would bring a ton of people to the site, even if they weren't listening to our show. I think it would be really useful for people to to see where certain events in the Star Wars universe align and how the media lines up and all that different stuff. But at the moment, it's just show notes and pretty pictures. Hmm. I don't know. Pictures are pretty. I think uh, we just paid for that subscription for another year so we can punt that yeah. down the road. <laughs> yeah, it'll have to. Can't eat it yet. I'm thinking about combining a couple of my other sites though. Cause I, I pay, I, I pay Squarespace probably close to a thousand dollars every year. Um, maybe, so maybe not now, money, dude. maybe not now. I, I definitely have trimmed it down, but, um, I think I have, th- I have three active sites right now. So that's probably closer to $500 now, but it's still a lot. And I could probably combine my portfolio and my blog into one site. I don't need jacobtender.com and curbsideaudio.com anymore. I, there's just, they get touched too infrequently for that to be a thing so i'm thinking about combining those in some way but we'll see it's on my never-ending list of uh things to clean up on the internet besides the internet itself yeah <laughs> man i i wish we could roll the internet's database back 900 hours or or 900,000 hours <clears throat> yeah uh at least back to 2000 yeah <laughs> way back npr owes you guys lunch (laughs) npr is gonna gotta send out like a domino's gift card or something like that to every (laughs) single 
like aggregate or developer that uses their RSS feeds. Yeah, I I don't think we'll really know the the true lasting effects of their blunder for at least another day or so. Yeah, I'm trying to see if anything else has developed since. I haven't seen I any articles. Checked. I'm waiting for Nikwa to get some background info on what's happening. How about not Nikwa? He's been quiet. They have been quiet. I, you know, I still, I don't follow this account. So, so whenever I hear about something, it's from you. <laughs> okay. I, well, the latest in, in, in every in other the week, Nikwa, it changes. I, it's like they're quiet. And then the next week they've been active again and then they're quiet. It's like whenever we talk about them, it changes. They went quiet. Yeah. Well, the, the latest development was that I did catch real Nikwa's um, thread where they, you know, were obviously offended and hurt and and upset that they were creeped out by Nikwa texting people and um, shoot not Nikwa texting people, mm-hmm. uh, and so enough people I think banded together and were just like listen delete your account and the not Nikwa account decided the next best thing was to change their name to horse meat. Is that a I reference? It's from. It's a reference to Friday Night Lights, according to this really old, like one of the tweet that came out here. There's their thread on from four days ago. They said thread, and they just quoted this whole speech, which apparently is from Coach Gary Gaines from Friday Night Lights. I don't know if that's true or not. I've never watched Friday Night Lights. Mm-mm. It says being horse meat is not about that scoreboard out there. It's not about winning. It's about you and your relationship with yourself, your family, and your friends. Being horse meat is about being able to look your friends in the eye and know that you didn't let them down because you told them the truth. And that truth is you did everything you could. There wasn't one more thing you could have done. Can you live in that moment as best you can? We're on the third uh, thing in the thread right now. With clear eyes and love in your heart, with joy in your heart. If you can do that, gentlemen, you're horse meat. And then Coach Gary Gaines is the attribution on that. I don't know if that's a real thing from Friday Night Lights. Hmm. Did you ever you ever watch that show? No, I absolutely did not. I, I hear yeah, it's, I, I hear I, it's good. But I like explosions in the sky. <laughs> oh, I did. It was that like their theme song or on the soundtrack or something? Yeah, that's like their that's their thing. It was okay. like their their. I mean, they were around for a while before that, but their breakthrough was Friday Night Lights. Like Shins to Zach Braff. Yeah, to to Garden State. Yeah. God, what a turd! I hate that movie. <laughs> that is the that is the movie. Uh, that is at the foundation of May and I's relationship. That's unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> I think our first kiss was at, during the credits during the Fru Fru song. Dude, you are a walking cliche. Fru <laughs> <laughs> Fru put out another song the other day. Uh, their first in like seven years or something. Yeah, the guitar thing? Or yeah. what was it? Yeah, it was cool. uh, something with the name guitar, right? Mm-hmm. It was good. Yeah, it's a good it. song. I like anything that she does, though. Yes. Well, it's Imogen, Imogen Heap? Yeah. Was it as Imogen Heap or was it as Fru-Fru? As Fru-Fru. Oh, okay. So, That's exciting then. Which is weird I though. I couldn't tell you the difference. It's called Guitar two. Song, but it's by a British electronic duo. So, Who was the other person in Fru-Fru besides Imogen Heap? Uh, Guy Sigsworth? From I'm not really sure what, what his pedigree is he he's associated with Bjork, Alanis Morissette, Britney That's Spears. Enough. Yeah, Seal. those are all. Uh, he's Paramore. he's just a producer. Paramours. 
Yeah. Just a producer. That's what they all say. I'll take another oh, first man. record though. I'm 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 big into that. Um, yeah. Speaking okay, of so what music is this thing? from the, the yeah. early 2000s. Yeah, That's so, what I was going to say. What is going on with this Fall Out Boy news? <clears throat> there, there's no news. Well, if there is, I don't know. I haven't followed Fall Out Boy in years. But I've been, you know, as you know, going through my CD collection and ripping them to my mm-hmm. computer. And I got to the F section. And I, I'm rip, ripping all of my Fall Out Boy CDs into uh, lossless MP3s or uh, Mm -hmm. lossless FLAC files on my computer. And in doing so, I wound up on the Fall Out Boy Wikipedia page, as you do. I was just reading. I I got into some sort of section uh, about, like, the the hiatus period, which is uh, a period around maybe 2008, 2009, when Fall Out Boy basically just took a break. They stopped being a band, and they just kind of hung around. Um, Patrick Stump put out a solo record, uh, and this is 2010 to 2012, sorry. So Patrick Stump put out a solo record. It He completely self-financed, self-produced it. Um, I really liked it. I thought it had some really good pop jams. It was his opportunity to kind of try going in a more pop direction, uh, to stray from the pop-punk emo thing where all the songs were written by the bassist Patrick, Pete Wentz and he was able to to write his own stuff and, and put it out there. I thought it was great. I'm a Patrick Stump fan, though. And the internet and the audiences at the shows were not so kind. There were a lot of you know toxic Fall Out Boy fans out there who were, would just say nasty things to him. You know, he he was pretty overweight, or you know, he was he was the heaviest he had had ever been when Fall Out Boy broke up. Mm-hmm. And during the hiatus, he got healthy and he started eating better and you know, controlling his portions and whatnot. And he lost a crap ton of weight. <laughs> do you know for weight. a fact that that was his routine? The controlling of the portions was. I actually was... do. I actually do. Oh my gosh! Uh, <laughs> I thought you were just like just generalizing, being like he must have just started eating right and controlling his portions. <laughs> no, um, not but... taking up like a coke habit or something like that. No, no, no. He lost like over sixty pounds. And, um, anyway, so he, he, he lost a lot of weight. He's getting healthy. He's making this music that he's kind of wanted to create on his own for a long time. You would think that he, that people would be really excited for this new era of Patrick Stump's career because he, I mean, he's an excellent singer. He's fantastic. And he's sort of been, um, at least up to that point, he was penned into this pop punk emo sphere, even though Fall Out Boy was much bigger than Warp Tour at that point, uh, he wanted to try something new. He wanted to go beyond that and, and break out of his, his norm, which was great, but people didn't like it. And they started saying all these nasty things to him. Like we liked you better when you were fat and calling him a has been. And in all these, these things just really nasty. And it, it, it broke him and he kind of went away. He stopped putting out music. And, uh, for a while it was really quiet between 2010 and 2012. There was, very little to hear from most of the members of, of Fall Out Boy, and especially Patrick Stump. So, anybody who has followed my music writing career would know that one of my like finer accomplishments or, or more notable accomplishments in writing about music was an essay that I wrote about an important Fall Out Boy record to me in in my middle school years. 
I wrote about From Under the Cork Tree, which is you know, more or less their their second full length record. Um, mm-hmm. That was like the first album that I I really listened to on my own. Is that an American Idiot, of course? But those ones like really broke me out of the stuff that I was listening to on the radio or the stuff that my parents had at home. It opened my eyes to this whole new world of, you know, quote unquote, alternative music. It was a very influential record. Anyway, I wrote about it. I published the essay on my birthday and this is like 2012. Um, and out of nowhere, Patrick Stump wrote a 1500 word response, basically not a direct response to what I was writing, but, um, mentioned specifically me by name several times in the piece and kind of used the, the piece that I wrote as a launching point for this essay of his own, where he just wrote about all of this stuff that's been like really bothering him, how he feels like he was a has been and that, you know, maybe people think that the best of his work was released in 2004 and he's never going to live up to the record that I cared so much about. And, you know, he notes like, I'm not that, that me, Jacob tender, I wasn't writing that myself. I wasn't saying this is the best yeah. that they've ever done. Cause I remember that it was like fallout boy is not for me anymore. Wasn't that the, the idea? Uh, no, that was a follow up piece. Okay. <laughs> that was a follow up piece that I was planning on publishing after they came back. Um, but no, oh, it was, it was just that record was very important to me at that point in time. And I wrote about it retrospectively, like looking at my, my, my own life during middle school and you know, how that record applied to it. And it did in so many ways. It was insane how often I listened to the album and all of these quotes that I have in my brain where I, when I'm listening to the song, I can still go back to this very specific point in time in my hometown. Like it, it was all just, it was there. So I wrote it and somebody sent it to him and he wrote this response. It got a really big, you know, it, it got a lot of attention. Um, it was the first thing that he'd like written or said publicly in about a year. So it was a really big deal. And it was a big deal for me and it was on my birthday. So it was like really cool. Uh, and that's just kind of been like this weird fact in my life. Patrick Stump wrote about a thing that I wrote about and compared me to Nick Hornby. So very flattering. Also kind of, it is very flattering. Wow. Yeah, but also kind of disappointing or, um, depressing because the, the stuff that he was writing about was, was really sad <laughs> and, and, and so it's like a weird thing to associate myself with because if people don't know like the whole story, it's, it's weird because they might read that thing and then they'll think that maybe he's, he's saying that I was one of these toxic people. That's not really the point. Um, because I wasn't, I was, I was being fine. I'm, I'm losing the thread here. In any case, I was reading through this Wikipedia page and I got to the point where it was talking about this, this essay that he wrote, which was called, we liked you better fat confessions of a pariah. Um, I read through that whole section. It kind of goes through the stuff that the other members of the band were doing prior to the reunion. And then I get to the first section of that reunion and it kind of, it surprised me because I'd never read this before. This came from a Rolling Stone interview, but this is the, the first couple sentences from the 2013 to 2014 reformation and save rock and roll section of the fall up boy Wikipedia page. Mm hmm. It says, Stump and Wentz met up for the first time in several years in early 2012 for a writing session. 
Wentz reached out to Stump after he penned his letter, as he too felt he was in a dark place and needed a creative outlet. So basically, they hadn't talked to each other in a while. A long while. The the primary songwriters for one of my all-time favorite bands. And not only did one of my favorite singers write an essay in response to something that I wrote, but the songwriter and bassist of that band reached out to that singer as a result of his response. And that was basically the beginning of the reunion. Those sessions were the beginning of them writing Fall Out Boy songs for the first time in like four years. So I'm not claiming credit, <laughs> but it, it is interesting to hear this new fact because I didn't know that, that was sort of the, uh, the catalyst for the reunion. And it's interesting to look back at this thing, this essay that I honestly haven't thought about in a while and I don't know, put, put it in some new light and see that maybe it had some sort of influence in the reunion of this band that I cared about for so long. You did it, dude. You pushed Stump <laughs> over the edge. Yeah. Broke him down and and, uh, and brought his other depressed friends out so they could write some more pop jams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great job. It's funny. I, I saw that and I, I texted my buddy James. Like, when I read this, I don't know who in the world would give a shit. <laughs> like, I, this is interesting to me. And I, I even, I told it to May and it's... I don't think she thinks it's as interesting as I do. She's like, you're probably reading into this more than you should. I'm like, yeah, you're, you're definitely right. Um, but I wanted to share it with somebody who maybe had something close to the same frame of mind as I do. And so I shared it with James who I ran under the gun with. And, you know, as much as that piece was a big deal for me, it was a very big deal for our website. It was one of the like, all time most popular posts on under the gun. And, uh, so I shared it with him and he's like, holy cow, where did you read that? And I told him and I showed him the source and everything. He's like, that's incredible, man. I think he like understood it the same way that I did. Not necessarily that Jacob Tender is the reason that Fall Out Boy got back together, but that I played a very small part in that. And that in a way that is important to me because I, I love that band. And I love the record that they came out with when they came back as a group in 2013 and 2014. So that was cool. Um I did make a joke with James, though, that uh, our friend Zach Cirillo, who ran the pop punk blog property of Zach for a long time, it was sort of a, Mm -hmm. he's like a frenemy, really, for a long time. Um, I only got to meet Zach in person one time, but we spent a lot of time on the internet trading jabs because we had competing music blogs, even though we were actually owned by the same company. um, We were always competing (laughs) over who could get scoops and traffic numbers and and all that dumb stuff that we don't really care about anymore. But he would always come back every once in a while and and remind everybody that he broke the story that Fall Out Boy was getting back together. Um, Basically, he wrote the first blog post saying that Fall Out Boy was reunited and that they were coming out with a new record, something that everybody in the alternative music industry knew for two years. (laughs) Like, we had all heard whispers about tours being planned and a record being recorded but nobody publishes that because it's not our place um he thought he was he, he was doing his journalistic duty he found like three sources that would tell him the same thing i would have if he would have asked um but even even like years after he posted that he would 
that was like one of his landmark things because it was a very big post for his his website traffic wise was that he broke the fall boy reunion um the difference in his story and mine is that that basically ruined his relationship with Fall Out Boy. <laughs> he had like no chance of, of doing any work with them after that. Uh, because he spoiled their surprise or whatever. Exactly. And, and now that I know this fact, I'm just waiting <laughs> for him to tweet someday. Like I, I doubt he will, because he's, he's gone on to be more successful in the music industry than any of my peers. Um, but if he were to, to, to tweet something about how he broke the, the Fall Boy story, say, well, that wouldn't have happened if I didn't get them back together. <laughs> you punks. <laughs> Zach gave me my, like, I think my only published writing, I think. Oh, that's right. You what? wrote something for yeah. him. I, yeah, I was like towards the end of A Property of Zach, but I wrote a piece on Hopalong's album. That's in, right. Like, in tandem with my tour at the time. And Hopalong retweeted it. You know, I didn't get any bands back together, but I got a retweet out of it. <laughs> Not that's a retweet. Right, it, was a, it was a link tweet. No, like Francis just actually read it, read it and said some thoughtful things from old best friend. And they added me and they posted the link to the article. Wow. Huh. There's a, I just found another post on Properties Act from October of 2014 that has basically the the damn Bogosian gang of bands. They used to do this thing called showcase playlist spillway or well showcase playlist. And then they did one for spillway where, uh, they would put up and coming bands into the spotlight and it's curated by, by their bands. And this, yeah, of course this one is by Dan because it's got spillway, Suleen, <laughs> Dave Bazan, yeah. old best friend, <laughs> saves yeah. the day, Elliot Pyle. <laughs> yeah, this is a Dan Bogosian list for sure. That's great. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is good. That's I'm going to put uh, old best friend on Hopalong in the show notes because this is a good piece. Do you know what I found that was a really good piece like a night ago? Um, we were talking about Game of Thrones in, in our Game of Thrones chat with my group of friends, and they were like... <laughs> talking about how like my friend was like oh god i put way too much talking into this group chat when i should be working on my final project i'm like your final project should be on game of thrones somehow and i and i referenced back to a time my senior year of college first semester i I had to write one of my my thesis papers Mm -hmm. um on like a on a a film score and i chose the teenage mutant ninja turtles music score from like the 1990 live action ninja turtles movie because uh-huh. I had been watching it like a lot at that point in time. And I was like, well, I'm just going to write an essay. And it was the easiest paper I ever wrote in my life. Like I had a great yeah. <laughs> time researching. I had a great time analyzing the score. I had a really great time doing scene anal- analysis. And it, I don't even know what I got on the paper, but I was reading through it. I was like, this is the most me writing I've ever done. Because it's so tongue in cheek being like, somehow Joan Duprez's score for the 1990 film Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was overlooked at the Oscars this year. <laughs> it was being like just such a stupid troll. And I had to, I remember I had to wear a suit and, and give a presentation with that. I had to read that essay off in front of a class and like play the musical examples. And I had, to, I was just like giving quotes. Like at one point I do like, and then Michelangelo goes, whoa. And I did that in front of the entire class. And like 20 people were just like, this is the stupidest presentation I've ever seen in my life. But I got away with it. You know, that's, that's what the important part is. It sounds like something that would be published on the hard times. Like, like, like music student does analysis on 
or just like the the analysis would be published on itself on the hard times. It wouldn't be like a news yeah. story. It would be like a an editorial on just like a think piece on the internals. Yeah, I could submit that to them. <laughs> or even on their like uh their video game subsidiary hard drive. <laughs> I'm sure they'd take it. They had a really I good piece of the onion that. apparently thinks video games are a joke. It's so so good. These guys are great. <laughs> Man, they're they're definitely giving the onion a run for their money. Every and every single uh, head headline just hits so close to home. <laughs> they're so good. Most of the, at least on the hard times, like they're all written by musicians, so it's all super specific stuff to you know hanging out at gigs or uh, you know promoting your music and stuff like. It's just it's so it's so good. It wouldn't be funny to anybody who <laughs> hasn't spent any time in that world, but to anybody who has, it's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, just like the things about like band dude like doesn't have job or something like that. To, so, to that that permutations <laughs> of that headline are just like, oh God, I mean, what are subscription some subscription like, service that delivers a new drummer to your door every month? <laughs> yeah, like that's fine. That's like a musician thing. If I look here, like, what are some good headlines tonight? New Wes Anderson movie about sad guy who joins bird watching group or some horseshit. <laughs> that's that's not even that clever how to tell your bassist none of their takes made it on the album that is that hits so close to home because i think one of the albums i recorded in like 2009 i played upright bass on it i think most of my parts got reorganized and re-edited because it's my first record on upright (laughs) and it was so bad oh my god dave mustaine refuses to leave rock and roll hall of fame until he speaks to manager <laughs> vintage uh, hacky sack collection found on roof of high school building how many how many words are these articles oh i don't know like somebody just titles somebody is getting, <laughs> no dude this is like a probably like a 100 250 word article yep man somebody puts effort into this yeah they're they're very good I've, I've had some friends that write for them and they're very talented i i, I wish i could write something them i've always i like when i for a period when this blog first came out i would go to shows and i'm like okay what can i write about here i'm not here to write about the band tonight i want to pitch something to hard times and nothing ever came to me i'm just not it's not my thing Uh, report looks like someone is fucking in that car over there from quincy massachusetts (laughs) (laughs) that's so gross clean bedroom Uh. excited to meet potential sexual partner (laughs) jesus oh yeah man i miss writing he wasn't published until he was 50 writing um a little bit but i think i do a lot now (laughs) of just like of audio writing you know Mm. like so i don't think it's too like i'm happy with my creative output Mm. you know i'd like to make i'd like to make my own podcast you know series like scripted one but i don't know and and when I do like the last thing I wrote was that that release for the old best friend record like that essay, and I thought oh, yeah. like that was pretty like um, it wasn't like soul bearing or anything, but it was definitely you know just it was a good very honest thing. I didn't have to try too hard. I didn't have to. I didn't think I sounded too stupid. I didn't have to re- rewrite a lot of it. I definitely like edited it a hell of a lot, but like mm-hmm. I didn't. You spent some time on that. Yeah, I did. And I have another, I had like another essay going too on, 
Anna. Oh, I, didn't I write a whole thing? Yeah, on that song that I haven't published or like put out. There's really no, no reason to put it out, I guess. But <laughs> may as well. Yeah, I think it was the audio. I was waiting on the audio samples, and I have to go over the edits that you made. But yeah, I yeah. So I, I mean, I do when piece. I. Yeah, I like writing. I don't miss it that much. Hmm. It's been a crazy week. This is going to be a crazy year for just franchises <laughs> ending. Yeah, it has been a crazy week. Like this is I, I I tweeted this thought, but it is the it has been the worst week to not stay current on pop culture. Yeah, like it's impossible to go on Twitter without having seen the latest episode of Game of Thrones and the new Avengers movie. You just can't go online. Yeah. Yeah, you would be spoiled if you if you didn't see Avengers or watch Game of Thrones on I mean, it doesn't matter what day you listen to this, if you haven't seen the latest Game of Thrones, then you are mm-hmm. you're you've already been spoiled if you've tried to go on Twitter or Facebook. Yeah, even the trending topics are spoilers. At this yeah. point. It's it's pretty bad. So Uh yeah. Uh you're a Game of Thrones watcher, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, only recently though. Like <laughs> in the last could- year. We could talk about that tonight, but we have so much else on the docket. That and and, and Game of Thrones hasn't should. finished yet, so like, yeah, I, I just don't think. And honestly, <laughs> there's not a lot to say about Game of Thrones besides the fact like it was cool, and we could get into the minutia of what we'd liked and we didn't like, but it was it was cool, and we haven't even referenced specifically what episode it is we're talking about. Like, this is not it would not be evergreen to talk about that right now. Yeah. Um, I just, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's just like, to the fact that Game of Thrones is coming to an end, the fact that Avengers just ended mm-hmm. for the time being, you know, it hit a good stopping point. And then Star Wars is going to be ending. What else is ending this year? Anything? Sonic the Hedgehog would. is going to be ending this year. Ugh, <laughs> oh, man, don't even get me straight. I, Did you watch that just... teaser? God, yeah. Dude, it's so weird. It's Why? so weird and bad marsden's in that like i mean did they just catch a whiff of the pokemon movie and think we got to jump on that train it's bad like it's it's just so disturbing and not it doesn't even look like a good plot it looks like a it looks like an 80s movie plot with sonic the hedgehog it it looks like a straight to vhs kind of like thing the fact that teenage ninja turtles well, don't that somebody <laughs> tried to compare it to the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, and if you like anybody who says that hasn't watched the movie because that movie is like one of the greatest comic book children's te- like adaptations that's ever been done, it's and I, I, I will group. debate anybody on that. And it's not a niche group. It's it's if if you watch that movie, there's like almost nothing embarrassing about watching it. Like mm. like I I would never feel embarrassed to watch that movie because of how well it was done. Maybe the stuntman's face, like you can see the stuntman's lips through the costume at one point. That's kind of embarrassing. I'll give him that. But the rest of it's very good. I enjoy a lot of it, especially the score. Yeah. I'll email you the essay if you want to read it. I would love to. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Sonic the Hedgehog, not so much. The Detective Pikachu one has my interest. It's got me peaked. Well, the Detective Pikachu, like... Like, the Sonic the Hedgehog thing, there's no telling what that plot actually is. 
there's just a hedgehog. And at one point he says, I have to save the planet. And with well, this, like, I felt like what? they spelled what, it what, out. What, it, what is it? Okay. Sonic the Hedgehog appears for whatever reason. Gangsta's Paradise is playing in the background for whatever which reason. Which is unbelievable. Some, somebody had a good take on that. Um, wh- whose song is that? Is that Coolio? Coolio. Okay. Yeah. So Coolio has the song Gangsta's Paradise that comes out in the 90s. And then Weird Al does a parody of it. Amish Paradise from Bad Hair Day, sure. From Bad Hair Day. And he's and Coolio's all pissed off. He's like, this is a really serious song, man. You can't take it lightly. And now, 2019, he's licensing it out for a video game movie about a hedgehog with teeth. <laughs> well, all hedgehogs have teeth, don't they? I don't know. Have you I ever would, looked at I, a I feel like I feel like Sonic the Hedgehog's most defining characteristic is not his teeth. Right. His human teeth. I would go with blue fur, um, ability to run supersonic speeds. Um, the fact that it talks, that that is something that is remarkable. That he um, is carried around by a fox that can twirl his tails and do a helicopter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's not a defining character of Sonic himself. Oh, dude, that is, is Tails going to be in this movie? You know there's going to be a shitty stinger scene where they're like, oh, it's a fox with two tails, whoa! And, and like, it's going to be bad. Like, this is the worst thing. Like, you know it's bad when the Reddit, the subreddit called Why Were They Filming, which normally just posts people, like, catching really crazy things on film on, like, their phone cameras, post the trailer. You know, like, Why Were They Filming? And it's just <laughs> a movie. That's good. <laughs> yeah, it's it's bad. It is bad. And the when the mods are just like, you know what, I'll allow it. when it Because that's a shit post, according to that. I mean, that, that whole thing mm-hmm. is a shit post, but... It's a shit post of shit posts, you know, and and then a shit post on top of all of that. Like, they're absolutely like post. they're like you know what it's I'll allow funny. this. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just that's the end of that franchise. Hopefully, then somebody one of those shitty like film critic sites or like fake film news sites posted like Jim Carrey's first um, studio film in ten years is Doctor Robotnik and Sonic, and someone just like, I mean, like, what about? Mr. Popper's Penguins? What about, like, uh, what's it called? Kick-Ass 2? And they just listed off a whole bunch of Jim Carrey films from the past 10 years. Like, how yeah. could, it, how could a, like, a news publication not even come close to fact-checking their headline? Hmm. It's so stupid. I mean, Grant, he has not been as active, but IMDb is not that many clicks away. Mm, no, especially when you mine all of your information from there. Yeah. Yeah, that's bad news. But there's there's good stuff coming out. I I like I like that stuff is ending. Star Wars can take a break. Avengers definitely needs to take a break. Game of Thrones, I'm just glad to not have to look forward to that anymore. <laughs> it's that's like the roughest show to have to wait for, isn't it? Everybody wants to watch that show so badly all the time and it just takes so long for them to produce new seasons that it's just agonizing. I don't remember it being that bad for breaking bad. That was a, that was a rough one to wait for, but game of Thrones is so much worse, especially in these later seasons. Yeah. I just can't believe there's anybody who's disappointed with the, the long night episode. I think everybody who's disappointed with the long night doesn't have their TV set to the right picture settings. That I, well, I was not happy with the streaming quality from, from, 
um, who you call it from HBO, HBO. Yeah. Like that was abysmal streaming quality. Mm. Has Game of Thrones ever been released on Blu-ray? Uh, like yeah, I, I would I love get to the see this show individually, right? I, I don't think it has. I would, I mean, I've never seen it advertised anywhere. I would love to see that episode on super high quality, like just not with that crazy pixelation of like when the TV tries to interpolate black and it's like, okay, here's a little bit lighter black. So we're going to make this big chunk of pixels. Like it just looks terrible. Um, no man, they've see, got seasons one through seven box set on 4k. Is that legitimate? All right. I mean, I'll wait till the final season is out, but... Wait, you don't want to buy every box set? You don't want to buy seven box sets? No, that's why I'm waiting for Star Wars to be done as well. I've I've been waiting since 2005 (laughs) for for all nine episodes to be released. (laughs) Oh, that looks good. Yeah, it'll it'll look good on my shelf that I don't have. I downloaded the first episode at 720. Um, We have an HBO account, but we share it with May's sister and she just gave it to us. And I'm not really sure how it works. Um, do you have HBO now or go? I don't really know what the difference is between the two. HBO but, go. Yeah. Okay. Um, I looked it up and it says that multiple people can stream at one time on one account. But when I went to watch the, f- the last episode, episode two, again, there was play progress. So that indicated to me that you can't actually, have multiple people watching it. Like they don't have a way for you to set up multiple viewers the way that Netflix does or Plex. So correct. I would, I would be messing up May's sister's play progress. And I didn't want to risk that for the episode, especially since she just gave it to us. And this is the most anticipated episode. I had it all set up and ready. I'm like, you know what? I'm not even going to risk it. (laughs) I don't want to ruin it for. And then I looked and uh, it was about, 10 minutes after the episode had started, I was watching house of cards and I was like, I don't really want to stop watching this right now, especially if I'm not going to be streaming it. But then I looked on, um, a community where I spend time and they have, they already had the full episode available like 10 <laughs> minutes into the, the live stream. So I downloaded How? it. That's sketchy as hell. Yeah. You're uh, on the list now. But I, I, I watched that in 720, and then I downloaded it again in 1080. So I'm going to watch it again, but in, a little bit higher resolution without any of the streaming artifacts. And I'm watching it on my iMac, so I don't have to worry about like the motion smoothing crap and good backlight and all that. Yeah, the compression was pretty horrid. Yeah. For I an episode that takes almost that. takes place in, in complete darkness. Yeah. You know, that, that's pretty <laughs> yeah. terrible. It is rough, but, you know, having the, the TVs with with OLED would definitely help. And then if you have a TV that allows you to change the backlight rather than the brightness, you know, mm-hmm. that's a good episode to bump that up for. To bump the backlight up or down? Yeah. Up. You want to you wanna get some more light without actually, you know, when you increase the brightness, then you have to usually adjust the contrast as well. And then it, the picture is all distorted and that's not what you want. But if you can up right. the backlight, it just, it puts more light behind everything. And when you have an OLED um, TV, it's, it does it handles the blacks a lot better so i don't have oh, that yeah. but the imac is pretty good i think my tv still calibrated for roma when you know, <laughs> oh, they the released specific the rules yeah yeah like yeah. how to watch roma you know things to turn hey, off on your tv actually those are pro those settings are actually probably fine for this episode um 
I look through those and those are pretty good general rules for your TV. Mostly just turn off motion smoothing and use the natural settings for color. <laughs> you don't have to go crazy. Um, otherwise you're going to add all these weird tints and extra shades that you don't need. TVs suck these days. It's really hard to find a, a good TV that is set up perfectly out of the box. You got to go in and turn off a whole bunch of crap. My friend set up a projector um, in his apartment recently. Oh, cool. Yeah, he was like, nah, now I have a permanent 100-inch TV, and we were all just giving him shit for it, being like, yes, but do you want to watch your TV during the daytime ever? And he's, <laughs> I think he figured something out, because he sent a picture, and it looked pretty good. Skyscraper was on the film. Dwayne Rock Johnson's Skyscraper you, was on you TV. Get a, does he have it straight on the wall or on a screen? Uh, he has a drop, like a pull down thing. Oh, cool. Like a yeah. Pull, yeah. Those, are, those are generally made for that, but you can do it straight on the wall too. They have a special paint that you can put on the wall where the, I, the screen I think if it's appears a, in. If it's a rental, you probably don't want to do that. It's like a white paint though. It's, it just handles um, like glare and shadows and things a little better. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. It makes sense. I just um, hate this. Like when you have a projector thing and it's just like slowly like wavering a little bit if there's like a slight breeze in the room it's just like a curtain that's slowly drifting and you're just like getting motion sickness on top of whatever you're trying to watch like why am i sick right now it's because oh because the camera is not tilting that the screen is it's a large screen are we watching cloverfield no yeah vomit um i read that they were trying to bring um what's that um office what's his name from jim from the office uh that movie the horror movie he made um quiet don't place? make a sound yes quiet place don't make a sound hide and go peep um, those are my made-up titles for quiet place <laughs> that they were considering making that a cloverfield movie at the beginning i read that somewhere i could see how it would fit it made total sense to me yeah. that that would be called a cloverfield like, because the creatures are just inexplicable. They probably would have just made the creature design a little bit more like Cloverfield Monster. They and, look like Cloverfield um, Monsters, as is. They do. So do the ones yeah. in uh, in Stranger Things, in my opinion. Yeah. That movie was like a cool 90 minutes or anything. Like, it was like 80 minutes long. Quiet Place? Yeah. I thought it was well-paced. It was like, yeah, it was. Absolutely. It was like, definitely just gave you exactly no bloat, all killer, no filler. Yeah. It was impressive. I liked it a lot. Mm-hmm yeah um what oh how was your alien 4k screening it was awesome it was really cool we went to the theater in columbus and it's a it's a cool little art house theater they have like 500 movies there a year that you can't watch in other surrounding theaters they do a really good job bringing in cool stuff and events and live podcast recordings and stuff like that um for the 40th anniversary of alien they had a 4k restoration of uh of a reel for alien. And, um, I went with may and my friend Brandon and his fiance, Melissa may and Melissa had never seen alien. <laughs> so wow. it was, it was cool for multiple reasons. It was fun to watch. It was a sold out showing. <laughs> and I got to sit next to somebody who had never seen the movie before. So every single jump scare was effective. <laughs> <laughs> for at least but there one are a lot person of jump in my scares row. in alien i know the vent one is pretty that's a jump one yeah you know stuff with the cat it's, and steam blowing out and uh 
yeah, there's there's a good number of jump scares. May yelped a couple times. I was like, yes, this movie is still effective, which is great. Uh, I couldn't I couldn't deal with that <laughs> if I knew it was coming. Uh, it was great. It, it was an awesome, awesome experience because I've seen Alien probably more than most films. I've probably seen the first Alien movie more times than Return of the Jedi, if I were to guess. I've probably seen it more than most of the Star Wars films. But I still got something new from it. You know, I've never I've never watched the movie and not seen something I never noticed before. And I've seen it in a theater twice. And every time it's it just feels like a very new thing when it you'd have that slow pan through the hallways of the Nostromo. It's just like have I ever seen this before? Some of the monster shots in this movie are they leave a little bit to be desired. Like I'm looking at the Dallas dying scene mm. from alien in the vents like that. Yeah. When that alien, like it is a jump scare for sure. Like I'm watching it without volume right now. Thank God. But like when that alien pops out of the vent and kind of just spreads its arms, like it's just so clearly a dude in a suit. I know there's a lot of moments where it's just a dude in the suit. Like, you know, the bit, cause the- it was a dude in a suit, you know, it's like, it's not a, that, like of course can't really fault them for that but but you know at the end of the movie when she's on the escape pod Mm -hmm. and you can if you know where you're looking you can see the creature in the wall um it's like watched it in a long okay at the end up right now she gets onto she gets onto the ship onto the escape pod um, with the cat she puts the cat in the pod and then she's like taking off her clothes to get in her jammies and She's over at a panel. She's messing with stuff. And then you notice it before she does. But the alien is like tucked up in the wall. That's cool. In my head, I always saw, I saw it as the alien like tucked up in like a fetal position, like curled up in a ball with its head tucked over top of it. So it just looked like one of the other tubes on the wall because it blends in really well. It's a cool camouflage trick. But when you see it at 4K with a really nice screen, there are shots where the light is flashing across that wall and you can clearly see the entire person's legs tucked behind oh, no. a bunch of other wires and things. <laughs> so there's like, there's that cheese factor to it, but it's still a pretty effective movie. And I, that's why I don't peg the newer movies so much for having, you know, CGI creatures, especially in the later stages of the Xenomorph life cycle, because yeah. It's more effective. It's more of an animal thing rather than a dude in a suit with a very large head. It's just, I'm watching the fu- the finale of Alien now where the alien gets wiped out in the engine and everything like that. It's just so goofy looking. Like, like I, watching this movie in theaters, like my mom said she screamed in the theater when she saw this when she was a kid. <laughs> I bet. Like, she was, she was in her, she was like 20 when this movie came out. Yeah, she's like 21. Hmm. She said her and her girlfriend screamed when the alien, when the chestburster came out. And... But just like now, like, and, and I recognize the horror aspects of it and like how excellent and uh, artistic all these shots are. But like this alien suit just looks so goofy in certain points. But, and I'm watching it without sound now. So that's why I, I think I can say that. But like, and if I was watching it in its full entirety with all the sound effects and the score and just that, that tension, mm-hmm. maybe the suit, I could overlook the suit, but just like, it's so goofy. <laughs> It is it is goofy, but it works for me. And I, th- I think it is genuinely scary. You know, you, you've probably heard this before, but uh, Veronica Cartwright, who plays Lambert, she had no idea 
that the chestburster scene was happening the way that it was happening. So the reaction that she got when the blood splatters on her face as the thing pops out, that scream that she makes is totally legitimate. Yeah. I love that. Did you, you finished all the shorts, the anniversary shorts? Yes. Yeah. It, they finished up so quickly. I think they released two on the last day. Is that right? Cause I, I felt like we had one more week, but then I realized that it was the 26th already and there they were. You finished them? Yeah, I did. Okay. I took some notes on them. <laughs> oh, cool. I'll pull up my, my letterbox reviews. That's where I dropped all my thoughts. Um, we've got four left, right? We talked about the first two, the ones that we have remaining yeah. are night shift or alone and harvest harvest which are all interchangeable titles as we mentioned (laughs) on a previous episode like like every single one of these is night shift every single like or is or stood out to me as an entire in its entirety stood out to me Mm -hmm. um my note for or my first note says this is the best one so far okay that's that might have that might have been the last one i saw as well too my first line is one of the better shorts in this anthology yeah okay so we're do you think do you agree it was the best one or do you think could you no could you no okay i don't which one do you think is the best which one do i think is the best oh yeah which one um i think i think alone was my favorite the with the android on the ship yes okay i see i love that one Okay, well, we'll get to alone, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, or, or I liked because it kind of had that underdog approach in that, like the main character was an older w- actress, mm-hmm. you know, and you don't really get to see too many older actresses taking heroic roles or leading roles. Mm. As and it's a short, so I get that. But it was nice that like n- the ageist nature of films is not present in this; <clears throat> that the hero is older. And it's not thought, a man. I thought that there were some good performances in that one. There was some pretty bad dialogue, but I thought that the performances were actually pretty good. <laughs> you know whose performance wasn't good? The control room lady. No, she was terrible. Yeah, so the premise of this one is it's it's LV420. Like, is this the one from Aliens? They, no, none of them take place on any planet that we've ever seen before, which I think is silly. And there, there's probably... Not even Night was, Shift? I bet you all of them had LV426 in their original scripts and Fox said no. That's my guess. I think Night Shift didn't, wasn't no. it LV426? No. It was oh. like LV422. It was something in the area. It's it's basically the same thing and it should have yeah. taken place. That was my first note on that movie. This may as well have taken place on LV426. And after all these came yeah. out, I realized, yeah, Fox didn't want that there so that they have more options with canon. Because there's no saying whether or not these are canon. They don't have a Leland Chi that decides all of these things. But um, they should, and it should be me. Uh, Yeah, they they (laughs) should really help help them out a lot, I think, in terms of getting a cohesive franchise going again. Um, Um, Yeah, so, so, or the premise of this one is that it's just a bunch of miners coming to work, and um, it opens with a miner dying, you know, pre- like as a, as a prologue to this. Um, and then miners go down, see that shit's going crazy. They try to go back up, but they decide they should stay. Mm-hmm. And you tell, you can tell the control room person who's kind of like 
the the their person in the chair, a woman in a chair in this in this instance is like really into the idea of capturing the alien and keeping it alive for what we'd assume is Waylon Yutani. Yeah, there was um, there was a couple of those things where it's like there are directions coming across the screen, just like an alien and you know, yeah, it, sort of thing. Yeah, like well, well, you get it. You can keep the bonus if we get to keep it alive. Yeah, and something like that. Which is, I think that's so overt and like it's uh, it's just boring. Like I'm it over is. it. And the person's reactions when when they're trying to react to the person getting killed on the camera, I was like, like the the way their face is jerking. I'm like, that's not how I would have the actor portray this. Like the director's acting, yeah. asking the actor to be horrified by it. But I'm like, this character, if they're really looking to keep this thing alive or like capture this alien or not have them hurt it, like they would be colder looking at the camera, like mm-hmm. very intently, um, still fascinated, but like less disturbed by what's going on in the screen. Mm. Um, Instead of, and then, you know, if they follow up a few minutes later, like encouraging the miners just to come up and not face it. I think this is the best use of an alien. Like this was, it looks CG. Um, and it's very fleeting glimpses, like flashlight shining on it here and there while it moving. Like, I think the darkness helps sell it. Yeah. But certainly better than the puppets and the other ones and certainly better than, the the miniature like uh you know what do you call it the newborn chestburster I guess yeah. we just call it a chestburster um so I thought that was good that bit where the xenomorph is coming down the hallway felt very Darth Vader in Rogue One yes and because of the the brief glimpses you're getting yeah. and the power and the guy getting killed yeah that was good yeah I love um, that it was a, it was a good scene I, it's a good setting for it too we hear about these minds all the time but most of the action that we get at least in the older movies, it happens in space. Um, then there's one on a, a prison planet. And then the other ones kind of, kind of take place in like, you know, temple sort of areas, the, the prequels do. So this one was yeah. actually in a place that made sense in a mine. You would think well, that there also would be it was, it was way, it was limited. It was, it was just way mm. more limited too, which was nice. I, I like that there was like the elevator, like the preparation area, which didn't really matter. Like mm-hmm. you had a good sense of space. Like it was like the the, in, the setting for the majority of the story was a corridor. Yeah, it's like two one hallways. single corridor. <laughs> it wasn't like the greenhouse thing, which was like this large warehouse where you really couldn't get a sense of space. Yeah. That was the biggest problem with most of these. Like I would say, like two thirds of these, you just had like the directors did not utilize space properly, and like their their vector points are all crossing and moving around so you just really have no idea where the camera's facing in this room just a bad bad movement mm-hmm. like bad setting um but the, or i thought was the exception because of this it's just so simple a corridor an elevator at the end of the corridor and an alien at the other end of the corridor yeah and that was that was very nice um i also liked that how they all stood together at the end you know like that yeah. kind of i'm a sucker for that like avengers game of thrones i thought it felt more mentioned. like a simon Pegg movie you know, when, like, um, a group of people well, get together with, like, yeah, a ragtag bunch um, ready, ready to take down some zombies or something. Yeah, because they're mostly, like, yeah, they're mostly, like, comedically, like, she looks like the mother from Game, from, uh, from, what's it called, from, from Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that was cool. So that was Orr, um, my favorite. You liked Alone. Let's talk about that. Okay. Alone. I, I really, really enjoyed it. It definitely had a more artsy feel. So, you know, take that for, for what it is. Um, but I thought it showed some creativity and some actual intrigue. 
Uh, yes. You know, the, the pace, the pace was kind of quick, but you know, you, you kind of, it kind of has to be for a 10 minute short, but I thought that, um, I liked how it recognized the, the threats imposed in the prequels, you know, with the Android being the, the bad guy and taking an interest in, in the actual life of an alien creature and applied those ideas to the aesthetic that we're more familiar with in the original movie. So you have this old decrepit falling apart, junker space station sort of thing. That's your setting, but you're adding these other elements to it. And overall, I just, I thought it was really well balanced and interesting and I would want to see more of it. Like you, now you've got the Android and you have a full grown xenomorph and they're the only things living together on the ship that's kind of a cool idea you know think yeah yeah sure i definitely your interpretation of the creativity thing we both interpreted the creativity aspect of this similarly but Mm -hmm. my interpretation my note (laughs) it says uh this may be the closest we get to my alien comedy (laughs) in the kitchen remember no, remember remember my alien comedy? Yeah, like the alien comedy that I pitched where just two buddies hanging out and like having yeah. to deal with aliens. Like that's what this was. Except this that was one's just, an alien. This is <laughs> Exactly. Like they totally did the better version. They 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 punched up my spec script, my spec concept for <laughs> for an alien comedy, which was Android stuck on ship alone. Android is sad and bored. Android befriends face hugger <laughs> and doesn't want it to die. Alien finds a uh, human comes across this ship and alien and, and Android breeds alien. Yeah. From, which is cool. Like my, my beefs with alone were really just the, the shots, like the actual filming and like the, and I, I always assume that, that they're limited by their budgets and their equipment that they have access to. But right. But the I glares are too much like, for you. The fades, I yeah. think, were too much. Like, there's a lot of fades. Fades in this one. and like, like close like, follow shots that kind of like bounce yeah, along and, and well, just really long. Like the shot of her jogging was so awkward. Like she, I, I it just none of it was sold to me in a way that like mm. made me actually interested in it. Like I could only look at it as a comedy, um, as like a, <laughs> as a bizarre comedy. Huh. Um, I think there was potential for it, but like the score was like cool at the beginning it was the, the score the music was like very elaborate harken back to like you know old school like probably like the 60s and 70s uh cinema and horror like but then it kind of like became a little bit too much during the climax of the film i thought they mm. could have gone a little bit more sparse with it um i did not what is this note i did i do not appreciate the attempt at editing i think there was just some stuff like just the, the 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 weird there's like a bunch of like shaky camera work at the end yeah and then i definitely i laughed out loud at the end when like she looks up and the aliens just like hanging out with her oh dude like, i love that shot with the shadow where it just shows an alien like just like a like a like a big dummy just kind of yeah it was, a, it was a really and, tight shot but i i like that i like that whole exchange like her looking up in admiration and and the the yeah, man, I, I like that. I don't know. It's, well, it's artsy alien, fartsy, and the alien looked a little dead. Oh, I laughed so hard. But 
Because I just wanted the alien to be like, mama, or something stupid. Like, (laughs) Well, you get that in Alien 4. Um, Yeah. Oh, my God. No, I I liked the the bit where she's hanging out with the the facehugger. It's kind of a cool idea. The the fact that, you know, if a facehugger can't impregnate somebody, then what happens? How long is the the life of that part of an alien life cycle? That's kind of an interesting thought. There was a lot to it. I thought it was the most well-considered of the shorts. I thought Orr had maybe the most um, balanced show that you could possibly extend into a full-length feature. I thought Alone had the coolest ideas. And then Harvest looked the best. And before we move on to Harvest, um, are we just skipping Night Shift because it was terrible? Um, No, I do want to talk about it. Okay, well, one Um, more note on Alone. Yeah. Did you recognize the the man in that movie in that short? Um there's something familiar about him, but I did not no, I didn't recognize him. You've probably never seen a movie with him. But you've definitely seen one with his dad. Mm not ringing a bell, no. That is Bill Paxton's son. Oh. Isn't that mm. awesome? He, specific, that is cool. he specifically asked to be involved in one of these because he, he wanted to contribute something to the universe that his dad was a part of. Oh, I feel bad for being hard on it. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think, I, I mean, I can't really, I don't think the, the cinematography did his acting any justice with just hit like that long shot of him stuck in the thing mm-hmm. and then him just like bleeding everywhere, like banging his head on the, on the, the window or whatever. And, you know, she lets the alien out after like it was it was all a bit much for me yeah I but mean, i'm glad it was him it was I'm glad he was in it over the top artsy fartsy but i was really happy with it of all the shorts that's the one i'm I'm really glad exists mm. okay night shift i thought this was the worst of the whole batch this was really quite bad there was basically no story um the acting was really really awful and I actually didn't have any like real notes on it because I, I thought that everything was pretty bad. Um, yeah, I didn't. I didn't think the acting was the worst part about this. I didn't think it was the worst. I thought the acting alone was way worse. I know she was supposed to be an android, but like her voiceover was so badly mixed and like too affected, not cold enough. Like I wanted a David voice, you know, in the background. Like, like you should. Everyone should just watch David, and and that's like Fassbender just crushes that like she wasn't synthetic enough to me um wait a minute are we talking about the same one night shift well i i was referencing alone like as far as the acting goes i think alone's acting was the worst okay but um night shift i don't think was the the acting was the least offensive part about that to me like for me it was um i did like I mean, they just really hit you on the head really hard. Like in the beginning in that alley, like you could clearly see the face hugger in the, yeah. on the bottom left of the screen and they did not need to bring it into focus. All they needed to do was have it twitch out of focus as they were getting up to walk away. It would have been more that effective. Been, yeah. So much more effective. Like they don't need to treat the audience like idiots. Um, I know it's an independent film and like, but and people who are watching this are alien fans. They spotted the face hugger immediately mm-hmm. in that pile of trash and it just needed to twitch a little bit 
you know, just, just to really cement the deal, but they didn't need to focus it Mm -hmm. to bracket focus it. Um, they show an asshole old man. Of course he's about to die. And if you look at my note, like five lines later, it's like, yep. Asshole dude now dead. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, the reactions were pretty bad to all the action happening. It's just like overacting one on one, you know, just like these people are just like fresh out of whatever, uh, the, I couldn't, I, I don't know any of the acting methods. Um, the sound design was pretty bad in this one. Like when they're bludgeoning, she's bludgeoning something at the end of it. Uh, the baby alien, she just like pulls a baseball bat out or something and just beats the alien to death. Mm -hmm. The baby, I don't know how that worked out. Um, and then this is where I thought it was the beginning of aliens, but it was not as you indicated. It could have been, it very easily could have been on LV four twenty six because at the end of it, you know, there's all this screaming outside. It's like, yeah. Their little colony is being overrun, which is basically the lead into aliens. But yeah, wasted opportunity. Um, maybe not the filmmaker's fault. Like I said, I after seeing all of these, I have a feeling it's more to do with the studio than anybody else. But um, I don't know. This one just really got me thinking. You know, these the alien franchise itself it's made up of movies that are more or less just stories of people being attacked by creatures in the dark. Like that's, that's more or less the gist of all these things. Um, sure. But they build on top of that. They add things that make it an interesting film to watch. And I don't think that these shorts, even though they're limited to 10 minutes, I don't think that they're incapable of doing that. And up until this point, I thought the best one was specimen because you know, it was, it was tense. It was, running from a creature in the dark or hunting a creature in the dark, but there was personality to it. And there was something to it. This one just really got me frustrated because that last one got me thinking, okay, maybe these will get increasingly good over time. Maybe they're saving the best for last. And then this one came out and it just really let me down. There was really nothing to it. It was one creature in the same format that we've seen it a dozen times. And it was just a closed room. It was just a little warehouse and she had a baseball bat or something. Okay. All right. This guy has a, a pistol that he's obviously pointing at the ground and yet he shoots the transformer on the ceiling that makes all the lights yeah. go out. Like, yeah, it was just like, yeah, it was very bad horror. Like it was just, it was like bad. C- yeah. Sea level. It, I just, like, I don't it, even know how this I, one got picked up because maybe, you know, when you have a script, sometimes you have a, a script that you have an idea of, but it doesn't translate when you actually get it on film. When you have all of the pieces in, in place, all of the actors, all of the props, all of the costumes, everything is like set to go. It just doesn't translate to what you were thinking. But even this one, I don't see how this script would have been interesting enough to pick up. Yeah, I mean, like if you boil it down, the most interesting part about this is the last second when you think that she's triumphed over this small thing mm-hmm. and it turns out to be a very small thing. And that the, the, the horror is coming from outside of where she is just conquered. So that, but like that five seconds, like I've seen more effective YouTube videos, you know, like yeah. that, that can, that can do that, that more, like that much more with horror in five minutes than 10 minutes with mm-hmm. like, like it was just, it was just, like there was a way, to, like all of these concepts. There's, there's a thing that I've heard before. I forget who said it. I think it was the guy who produced the um, second Hop Along CD, Albini, Steve Albini. 
Um, I like I think that he that's said what some, you know him for. <laughs> yeah. I mean, besides like all of his multiple records, um, he said something to the effect of like, the, I don't believe that there are bad songs, just um, unfulfilled ideas, like, or just like I, poorly executed songs. Mm-hmm. That's what a bad song is. Um, because it, it, there's a way to do everything that you hear in your head and it's just not brought onto the page or onto the audio onto the tape mm-hmm. onto the film into the camera properly um so i do believe they had good ideas for some of these like the concept at their cores are things that like you know neil blomkamp or like or ridley scott could have been like okay you have 10 minutes to make this mining movie and they could have knocked it out of the park with their infinite resources or whatever mm-hmm. um but instead they gave it to like i don't like how are these picked do you know anything about the background of these yeah like were you, they have you ever heard of a service called tongle this sounds very conspicuous. It's, it's it's this weird platform that allows companies to recruit filmmakers. I'm I'm probably oversimplifying it because I don't I, I I'd only heard about it because of this project. Um, but it, it's a way that a like this Tongle creative community can work with brands and studios to make stuff i'm assuming it works like this you have all these people who don't really have a bunch of filmmaking credits but maybe have the chops and just need a chance to prove themselves and then you have these companies that are willing to take a chance for either little or no money like they can they can possibly get some really good work out of somebody for a very small bet and if it doesn't work out, they can just scrap it and go with the big guy that they're going to go with anyway. But it could be a way to find somebody that can do good work for super cheap. That's my guess. And Fox used this platform Tongle as a as a way to find these filmmakers that are interested in creating science fiction. And that's how they found the people to make these shorts. Okay. I mean, it strikes me as sort of like a hit record thing where they're just kind of recruiting people yeah. from here and there. It's a, yeah, it is like that. I forgot about that service. It's Joseph Gordon-Levitt's thing, right? Yeah, where you just basically, the, you see a project and you're like, well, I can do, you know, the yeah. computer-generated imaging for this. Or like, I can do the sound design. I can write this or I can edit this. And you have basically, you, you create a credits, like a, a cast and crew list from people scattered all over the country, mm-hmm. you know, um, in in this case there was a prize so there's like a two like basically a quarter million dollar prize um for pitches and i think that was like the a quarter million dollars yeah divided by 10 or by six movies it says six uh, short films let's see pitch qualification 18 times 2000 pitch six times 5000 video six times 30,000. So, um, it, this probably includes the budget for these shorts. Like basically you get to play in our playground and this is your prize, which is basically the budget for your film. You can pocket that maybe, but if you want to use it all, then you can. I'm assuming that's kind of how it works. I just feel like, like the budget probably helped these people a little bit, but ultimately if Fox wanted to do something cool, like I made a joke when you, you referenced this, we still haven't talked about harvest yet. I know that. Um, (laughs) but we, when you just told me about these short films, I made a joke being like, 
is is this like the animatrix you know and at this point i wish it was the animatrix like i i wish that fox had gone more professional with this you know like it's the 40th anniversary i mean they'll 10 years from now we'll have 50 and you know five years from now we'll have 45 so there's plenty of opportunities you know this movie's not going to stop aging oh yeah but I just feel like they could have pulled off something really cool in the animated realm and they have Fox has the budget to do it, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's just, these are all good, but I feel like I've seen these all on YouTube. Like they're a fan made half life films. They're a fan made like master chief, like halo films on YouTube that are this quality. Um, and like, I, I understand the hard work that went into these and I'm, I'm sorry. I don't mean to shit on their hard work. I'm just, this is just me being critical. Um, and just, I I just, I feel like these, like I said, like these concepts are good. Mm -hmm. Like these could sustain 10 minute films, but they're just executed so haphazardly and with varying quality, like the dolly work in alone, like that was the first, my first note was the dolly note, the the, the dolly shots are like shaking. Like it's just really shoddy camera work. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, it's not a steady cam. It's, it's a dolly moving across a set, but you can see the vibration of the camera. Like nobody bothered to stabilize the image. Um, it just like, it just, there needed to be some oversight to make it, it's it's alien. It's 20th century Fox. You know, you Mm -hmm. want it to be higher quality. That's just how I felt about the whole thing. No, I, I'm, I'm totally with you. I think, well, here, uh, are you interested in maybe hearing the objectives, like the 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 rules for the pitches for this project? Because I just found these on sure. the page. I think that yeah, that could kind of. I guess if if it can help, if it can help put it in perspective as to why they were this way. Yeah, and what the company, what what Fox intended, and what they expected out of these pictures, mm-hmm. and maybe how we can compare how they actually stacked up. Okay, so your story must. Be themed with the science fiction and or horror genre. Be totally tonally in line with the original film, suspenseful, visceral, claustrophobic, and intense. Keep a narrative vantage point centered around the original story. Uh, include the alien in some form of its life cycle, i.e. ovomorph to facehugger, chestburster, plus, or xenomorph. Introduce original characters based on the archetype of the underdog the everyday working men and women that grounded the film in realism and relatability. It must be short and must target the fans of the franchise ages 17 plus. It may not use the name or likeness of any actors appearing in the films, the characters of the films, or use actual alien film footage, music, or any third party controlled material. Um, even though your pitch must not use characters from the alien films, your pitch may reference these characters in dialogue. For example, Ash wouldn't have done that. So they can reference those characters, but they can't actually have those characters. Your pitch and final video must be wholly original. And then this is kind of interesting. They say, while you are strongly encouraged to invent your own original alien story, 20th century Fox also provides a list of story starters to get those creative juices flowing. Basically, they have a bulleted list here of example alien stories that could be developed into shorts. And reading through some of them, a lot of these are better than what we got. <laughs> At least the well, idea of them. So what are any of the story starters things that we have that that we got? Some of them are similar. 
let me read off a couple of them because they're actually some of these are kind of cool. So you've got synthetic and biologists partner together to survive an infestation. That's pretty close to specimen, right? Except that they twisted it, and rather than a, a standard synthetic, we got the synthetic dog. See, that's why I was going to say that the premise behind specimen was probably like or was the best one, I think, but the premise was strongest for specimen. The dance scene definitely made me not enjoy it as much. Although now in retrospect, having seen five other ones, <laughs> I th- I'm actually happier with. That would have been I'm a good happy. scene in an actual movie, you know? Yes. I, I still stand Maybe by that. Maybe not with that music. Okay, maybe not with that I think music. It but it's like Dallas listening to his classical music or something, you know? It, it would have been better. Right, but the, Dallas's music was diegetic, wasn't it? Like, it was it was part of the scene. It wasn't like a, like, like if, if it was, if it was diegetic music in that dance scene in Specimen, it should have been played, like, f- as if it was coming from her headphones. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? No, it was it was full like score. It was oh, like none. Okay. It was it was she she was listening the same thing we were listening to, but she it was the sound as if we had her headphones on. They didn't do I anything to make it seem like it was coming from her headphones. Maybe they did a jump cut like outside of to her perspective to show her dancing around. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when the when the intercom rings or something like that or whatever whatever plot incentive there is, I think that she pulls it off and it goes to diegetic. Um, which is cool, but like, I would have just preferred like a, like a much shorter thing of her dancing around the lab, Mm. but with the music on, like kind of like high past and like very faint coming from her headphones and more of the sound of the, of the lab happening around her. That's what, that would have been much more appreciated to me. Yeah, I get you. Uh, we'll see what else do they have here. They have scientists bring Xenomorph back to lab for dissection without knowing the horrors ahead. Okay. So that. That's, That's kind too of interesting. Generic. I know, but it would entail the scientists capturing a xenomorph, which I think would break the rules. Um, How would that space- break the rules? Well, I don't know. They've never done it. They've never captured a xenomorph. Oh, yeah. It's just like Jurassic Park or something. Yeah, it is Jurassic Park. That's exactly right. Um, it's just too generic of a, of a thing. There's nothing fun I'm going to skip that. all the ones that are dumb. Let's see. Uh a small family unwittingly stumbles into a cave with dormant xenomorph eggs. That's kind of like ore, a little bit, except in the, yeah. the mine, the thing. A small child is stalked by a face hugger searching for a host. With the right child actor, that could be cool. And if the child actor was a synthetic, or like, not the child actor, if the character was a synthetic, that would be pretty much alone. No, that wouldn't work because the facehuggers don't care about synthetics. But, I mean, they don't care, but it would be cool if it was a synthetic. Oh, I see what you're like, saying. I feel like, you, you meant like alone, alone, alone would have been... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, alone, alone would have been better, I feel like, if it was a kid. Yeah. As the main character. That could have Like worked. trying to have a friend. Yeah. I could see that. Um, But, I mean, why would they make a synthetic child? You know, that's... I mean, that's that's a cool, unexplored territory in the Alien franchise, you know. Yeah. Androids that aren't adult. It's kind of cool. And then Survivor of Xenomorph Infestation accidentally brings Xenomorph onto rescue ship. That was the first one. Containment or whatever. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So some of these definitely were just taken and, uh, and, and twisted around to create shorts. Um... 
which even lowers some of the ones that I had low opinions of. <laughs> to yeah. Begin well, with. does it? So does that? Were those ideas? Were they pitched to Fox, and then after that, they were then produced, or were they produced and then sent submitted to Fox? There, there was a pitch qualification phase where eighteen filmmakers were selected. Um, they they get to enter the pitch phase, and then from that pool, six people got to make their film. I do believe that those were probably the strongest pitches they got, mm-hmm. but I do not believe that their execution was as strong as it could have been. Yeah, I would have loved to submit something for that, but I have no filmmaking experience. I would only right. want to do the 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 pitch i would just want to well, write that's what i would guess happened like that's what i fully think happened i here's a here's a personal anecdote when i was um like 14 or so um a friend like a childhood friend of mine won like a teen vogue contest for a pitch that they wrote oh, cool. they had to pitch like a like a coming of age story really mm-hmm. um the story was something to do with like a teenage girl at odds with her mother who goes to start volunteering at a like a soup kitchen or something like that and um she won the, the pitch contest. So her prize was like a handy cam, you know, like a little, a little video camera, mini DV tapes or whatever. And, um, and she did not know how to use the camera and didn't really know how to make film. And so they drafted me family friend who <laughs> knew, they knew was interested in making film. And I was the person with the camera oh, cool. and they basically would just hand me the camera and they were like, okay, so we want to do this scene from the script. We want to do this scene from the script. And, I shot the scenes from them and I didn't know how to edit at all. Like, cause it, I did all the editing on camera, meaning we shot it in sequence. Um, I had no ability to direct. I had no vision. I was bad. I was bad. I want to just like be very clear with that. And like, it was a very poorly executed film. I do not think she won. Mm. Um, I probably would have heard if she had, but the the point being that like, I can totally see someone pitching one of these ideas and having it just be like a stellar script um, and them seeing it in their head and then them winning and being like, oh shit, now I got to pull this together. Yeah. Then that's what I feel like has probably happened like with a lot of these. And and to be fair, like these are beyond some people's wildest dreams as far as what it was produced, like mm-hmm. the harvest, which we not harvest. Um, wait, was it harvest? Yeah. The last one. Yeah. They're so generic. These titles. I know. Um, harvest yeah like it was just um like that that as far as like a production went it looked pretty good i have issues with this use of space like i have no idea and i think that that was the point because they are going in circles at one point right the android is leading them in circles on purpose it's kind of what they they state and like about halfway through um just like but you can tell they're, they're doing a lot of things that they think are supposed to happen in productions. Like every single one of these, the female has like ridiculous makeup on. And I'm like, okay, Ripley did not have makeup on like crazy makeup on in alien one. Um, like nobody looked good. Like they looked fierce and strong and blue collar and and rough and everything like that, but they did not look like pretty Mm. and everything. And that's not to say that you can't look pretty in the aliens universe, but like, even like what's her name, Charlize Theron in in Prometheus, mm. like she was pretty, but she looked fierce and intimidating, and like hell yeah, Furiosa baby, yeah, not like sexy or anything like that, depending on what you're into. But um, no, yeah, like, like it was, it was she has that she was beautiful, yeah, but 
Yeah, but she was just like she was not a sex object in that movie. Um, meanwhile, like every female in this is like more like especially in Harvest, like that android just has that like she just ridiculous eye makeup on in the first one containment like i think somebody has way too much makeup on as well too because like they were just like oh we're doing a production and we got this budget from fox so i guess we got to we got to do hair and makeup and they brought a makeup artist in that they could find and they did a good job but not for the setting of the movie um i mean that's that's the first thing i noticed in harvest um, overly angry man, much like I pointed out in Night Shift, and my prediction was that he's going to die, and he died. Of course. Um, this one was the first one out of all the shorts to show, uh, well, the first one that I watched that actually showed a uh, xenomorph hmm. late life cycle, like a full thing, but it had no movement at all. Like it was just a bit, it was just a, like a static dummy that they would just flash every so often. In, wait, in Harvest? Um, yeah, and Harvest. I don't. Be- I don't no, remember it moves, it moving. Man. It. They had a. They had a guy in a suit. Uh, they had a guy in a suit. Okay. Yeah. Because there's <laughs> did, there's I'd... the bit where the the face draws up to the dude's face and the mouth opens yeah. up and that's cool. But then there's a that looked like a dummy to there's me. There's a quick shot where like the arms come out like he's uh, about to grab him. Uh-huh. It's a quick like flash cut with a bunch of yeah. It's like a t- it's like three or four jump cuts in the space of a second to tell you that things yeah. just got wild um and then when the android gets impaled by the alien at the end that was like a cool death but you know it was very over it was very reminiscent of like bishop and aliens at the end yeah overall like harvest looked great it was obviously it had the most production value out of any of them it had you know the most well-lit sets and the best props, um, maybe the me- the best set design. I don't know. I think alone, I a better feel. Yeah, I mean, the set design might have been good, but as far as use of that set in terms of like, like they kept changing. Like, I didn't really understand the space in this one at all. Like the actual the movement that they were doing. Like it seemed like the alien, like like the guy died right around the corner from them. Mm-hmm. And and then like the girl's like I'm going around the corner too, and she runs and grows around. The alien's just gone. I'm yeah. like, okay, wh- how far is this being like going? <laughs> like it just it was just a poor use of space. Yeah, it, it um, was rough. But it did way. it did look the best. It did. I think it matched the tone and the look of it of uh, the aliens film, especially like um, uh, Covenant. I think I, I thought it was pretty close. Yeah, a little over um, little over contrasty in my opinion. Yeah, but it, mm-hmm. I think. That's something that um, filmmakers do early on for some reason. Because it, I don't. Why do they do that? It, I noticed that in a lot of like science sci-fi movies from the Sci-Fi Channel, and you know, any kind of action, like low-budget action movie, they have totally fine gear. It's just their cinematography and their color grading and their all of that just seems underdeveloped. I think. Maybe that's the best way to put it. It's just, it doesn't seem mature. Like that you think this looks great because it's all dark and grungy, but you could tone it down. Yeah. I think that a lot of it has to do with time and budget and their talent pool. Hmm. When we talk about like a sci-fi channel stuff, cause like, cause the best of the best are working on major motion pictures. Like they are working with Ridley Scott. They are doing covenant and yeah. Prometheus and everything. And they, they are, they fly a pretty penny. Um, but when, and 
like the gear, like the one thing that you learn about production and audio and everything like that is the gear does not make the producer. It's mm-hmm. like, I, you know, I just spent like $450 on fab filter plugins because I really wanted to have that interface to use. To, and I am probably getting like $50 worth out <laughs> of those plugins right now. You know, like, like I haven't mastered those and it's going to take me a while to master those. Mm-hmm. And so like the people that they're bringing in to like color code these short films and that they're hiring to shoot these things or do the dolly work on alone, they're like, they're not the best of the best and they don't know how to master. They probably haven't mastered their equipment yet. And they did a fine job for what it was for like a pitch contest, not not a sweepstakes, but like a, like a, you know, make do with what you, what we can give you, like the the limited resources. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you could, they couldn't hire the best of the best. They couldn't hire the, the people that are doing the real things and the turnaround time. They probably didn't have enough time. Like if it wasn't a deficit in, ability or gear then it was a deficit in the amount of time they had to pull some of this off Mm -hmm. and their allocation of resources it seemed that fox and whoever runs the alien social channels it felt like they definitely thought harvest was the main event of this series they promoted it a lot more and they had a bunch of retweets from the dude who directed this film um so I don't know, maybe they were given like a little extra budget and maybe some props and resources that the other ones didn't get so they could pull off that extra value. Um, it had the most creatures in it, I think probably. So you kind of most boring characters though, I think. Yeah. Like it was, the, it was the least character development out of any of them. It was the most well-developed visually, but the most underdeveloped conceptually in my opinion. Yeah. It was just like, it was three, four characters wandering a ship. It was a bunch of fast cuts, intense music to drive a story. That's basically about walking a couple hallways. Yeah. Like a bunch of plot, um, like a bunch of stereotypes, you know, just like angry, angry dude who has to die. Uh, menacing woman who really don't really don't her attentions. Um, pregnant dopey dude. Yeah. Pregnant woman and dopey dude who just, they just care about each other. And like, they really, you couldn't really get a bead on the heroic underdog in this. Like the pregnant woman was supposed to be the heroic underdog, but they just, Mm -hmm. you know, they, they, she went from being defenseless to totally brave. And it just, you you didn't really get a feel that she was the heroine that we were looking for here. Um, and, but then you also couldn't get a feel that the heroine was supposed to be this, this woman who turns out to be an Android. Right. Um, I thought the payoff was the creature. I thought it was pretty well done. Like it, it definitely showed that they put, more work into their xenomorph than the others. I thought Aura was good as well. Um, but there were some cool shots in this one of the alien, especially like coming up behind the Android at the end. That was a pretty cool shot. Yeah. My, my biggest qualm though is the ending. Like it's just so there's so much crammed into it with so little effect. You know, I'm still trying to work out the math that was listed at the end of the screen where it lists how many, organic organisms are on the ship and and whatever the math just didn't add up to me um but the one thing i thought was kind of interesting was that a you know the idea of a face hugger quote-unquote impregnating a pregnant person yeah who, what happens to the baby yeah. it's like a double baby what if you have like a double alien well that baby seemed pretty far along. So yeah, <laughs> it's actually, that, that it's baby has scary. an abdomen. Um, 
yeah so i I thought that was a little little wild but yeah the math didn't work out to me because i don't know i had to pull it up to to see what the numbers are but oh man that that concept it can go so far let's see like you could take like that that could be a horrible scene like the the alien's first kill would be the baby in the womb Mm. it says um yeah that's that's surviving crew members too Okay. Not really though, right? The I mean, I guess they're the, still technically kind of, alive. They well, are alive. So that that checks out. Yeah. Um because they they haven't had chest bursters yet. Unknown organic specimens too. Was the alien and the egg? Is there one more egg? Or was there a face hugger that was still I I couldn't tell. So what does the alien do on that ship? in the 21 hours and 59 minutes that it takes to make contact with with some other colony or or ship. So you just chill, just hang out and wait for these babies to incubate. And then what you've got three full size xenomorphs in a super small cabin. That's only supposed to fit two people. It's absurd. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't such a big fan of that one, but I thought we got two out of this that I thought would be interesting as longer form stories. And those would be alone and, or it was nice that they were short. Cause just as soon as I got bored with them, mm-hmm. they were done. They would, yeah, they were done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the only one I wanted more from was or, yeah, I think or would be like the best they, feature. Well, they cut it right as like the alien was coming at them. You didn't hear a flamethrower or guns go off. Mm-hmm. So I just assumed they all died. I assumed it killed yeah. them all. But I wanted to see them get a shot off. Like, it made me feel like they're... It made me feel like Avengers. It made me feel like everything. Like, like any movie where... Like, I felt things. That's the only one that made me feel something besides, like, a jump scare or something. Like, it made me feel like, yeah, go get them, guys. Like, well, let me ask you this. What How do you feel about Alien 3? Um, It's been... I haven't seen it as an adult in a, so ever. Then I, like, I challenge I it, you to watch it. Because if you like this short, that is the movie for you. It's the alien movie for you. Because that's basically I the whole I do remember point. the preacher kind of guy at the end taking the hit for, like, dying for Ripley at, at one point. Mm. Like, there's that scene. I remember, like, Ripley has to get out of the way or, like, get away from something. And this, this character I thought was, like, some kind of preacher or something like yeah. that. They're all like it was just like come here you want a piece of me you're like to the alien or something and the alien attacks him and kills mm-hmm. him but as a sacrifice play for for ripley to get away the bulk and of i do remember that the third act of that movie though is the the prisoners and ripley taking a stand to trap and kill the creature right so it's yeah, it's, it's kind so of the long. same idea but i think you'd like it i i love that movie so underappreciated yeah, yeah. I think I think the reason it's underappreciated is because of what they did to Hicks and Newt at the very beginning. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> like the whole point of Aliens. Yeah. Talk about like Last Jedi retconning and like subverting expectations, like waking up on a planet at crash landing, Hicks is dead, Newt is dead. Like Newt, the whole reason they got away, mm-hmm. like the, the whole reason, the whole fight that Ripley was protecting mm-hmm. Just, just dead off screen. It is, yeah, killed. It is pretty, pretty absurd. That's like very like '90s cinema, like sequel franchisey. You know, just like like Lost World or something. Like, oh, it's a second island. <laughs> I know Crichton wrote that. I know Michael Crichton wrote that. But yeah, but still, it's just like very, you know, 
just it's it's a retcon yeah essentially it is it's yeah that's the worst part of the movie but i i thought the rest of it was a good action flick so uh you want to talk about endgame hmm.